Greetings, friends and family. It is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Today we're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, as we celebrate our risen Lord today. Hear God's word to us, reading from the ESV version of John 20, 19 through 23. Jesus appears to the disciples. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Let me pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The risen Christ, his peace, power, and purpose. The Bible has two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament has 27 books, four Gospels to tell the life of Jesus, 21 letters to explain the meaning of Jesus for our lives, one history about the early church, and one prophecy. And all 27 of those books deal with Jesus as alive, risen from the dead, and the central living reality in the universe today. He himself being very God and very man, fully God, fully divine, and fully human. And what we want to do this morning in this message is to look at, is to look at Jesus's first appearance to all his frightened disciples after the resurrection. And what, what I hope that we would see is how did the risen Jesus act and what did the risen Jesus say? That first appearance to the disciples as a group happens in, in, in what will John 20 verse 19. We'll look at that first and, and keep going through this to see how Jesus acts. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. There's several facts of, in, of how Jesus deals with us. So this is the evening of the Sunday that he rose from the dead. The morning Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene, that's recorded in John 20, 1 through 18. But now he appears to all the disciples, the 11 apostles, all at once. And notice a couple of things. First of all, the doors are locked. The disciples are frightened. And Jesus comes to them and stands in their midst. Those three facts alone tell us three things that we can know about how the risen Christ, how the risen Lord Jesus deals with us today. First of all, the doors were locked. Jesus did not have to knock. He did not even have to open the door. He simply was there. And he, and he wasn't a ghost. Look at verse 20. He showed them his hands and his side. In another place, he said, touch me and see me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. That's Luke 24. Verse 39, 
So he has a physical body, but not exactly like ours, the same yet, yet different. He was simply there in spite of the closed doors, which means that today in our life, Jesus can go where no one else can go. He can go where no counselor can go. He can go where no doctor can go. He can go where no lover can go. He can reach us and reach into us anywhere and anytime. There is no place where we are and no depths of personhood that we are which Jesus can't penetrate. Jesus' resurrection from the dead fits him to do what no one else can do. There is no one else like him in all of the universe. He is alive, and he is the one and only God-man. What he is capable, we cannot imagine. And it is a healing wonder to contemplate that all the complex layers of our life, which neither you nor I or anyone else can understand, are in quite familiar territory to him. So first of all, the doors were locked. Secondly, they were afraid. Verse 19, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Their leader had just been crucified as a threat to Caesar. Their fear is totally understandable. And into that fear, Jesus comes. I guess I want to draw our attention to this because this is the way we feel the the way that we feel the need of risen living Jesus at times. It's it's fear, right? Fear that I won't be prepared for what I'm expected to do. Fear that the church isn't going to prosper. Fear that my children will make make a shipwreck out of, out of their faith. Fear of of a pandemic, fear of, um, of a vaccine, fear of whatever, fear that I won't have the faith to die well, fear that I might drift into worldliness and uselessness. And what Jesus is saying in this action is, I come to my own when they are afraid. I don't wait for them to get their act together. I don't wait for them to have enough faith to overcome fear. I come to help them have enough faith to overcome fear. Some 30 plus years of being a Christian, this is still true. The risen, living living Jesus is still doing this. He comes when we cry out to him in our fear. He helps us. I have called to him more times than I can count. Jesus, please help me. And he has come with the promise, fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God, and I will help you. Isaiah 41, 10. He will do this for us if we receive him into our life for who he really is. Then the third thing, Jesus comes to them and stands in their midst. Verse 19, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. The point here is that he came right into the middle of their meeting. He did not come to the edge and and call out through the wall and deal with them as some distant deity. He wasn't playing games with them. He wasn't toying with their faith. He wanted them to see him and know him and believe in him and love him. And that, friends, is what Jesus wants for us today. He wants us to experience him 
the living Jesus, to know him, to have him draw near into our life where no one else can go, to have him help us in our fear the way no one else can help us, and to have him come to us, close to us, not calling to us from a distance, but coming right into our midst. And that's what we pray that happens every time we gather together. So three gifts and what Jesus says. So that's the way he acts as the risen living Christ. Now, what does he say? And what we see is that in, in this first appearance to the disciples, he says three things or four, depending on how you count them. And, and these three things turn out to be three gifts to us. Three gifts, the gift of peace, the gift of power, and the gift of purpose. So for simplicity's sake, the opposite of peace is conflict. We, we know that that's not necessarily true. We, we know that's a shallow definition. But again, for simplicity's sake, the opposite of peace is conflict. The opposite of power is weakness. And the opposite of purpose is aimlessness. You see, many, many lives are ruined by conflict, by weakness, and aimlessness. Jesus did not come into the world and die and rise again to ruin our life, but to save it. And what we will see is that he saves us from ruining our lives by becoming himself our peace, our power, and our purpose. And we're praying that God will do this for us, to make Jesus our peace, our power, and our purpose. Peace be with you. So what did he say? Two times he said, peace be with you. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Before Jesus says anything about power or purpose, he wants to establish peace. The order here is really important. The peace that Jesus gives us before and underneath any of our empowered actions or any of our purposeful deeds, we, we, we don't initiate peace with Jesus by our actions. He initiates peace with us. Paul wrote 13 of those 21 New Testament letters. We, we are almost done with one of them, Colossians, right? And he explains it like this. He, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one, Jew and Gentile, and reconciled us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, Ephesians 2, 14 through 18. And it's a peace accomplished. The peace that Jesus offers the disciples is peace that he accomplished when he died for them on the cross. That's why in verse 20, he says, when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. In other words, I am the one who died. I am the one you abandoned. And I am the one who was pierced for your transgressions, according to Isaiah 53, 5. And the reason I can offer you peace is because by my blood, I have covered all your sins. So if you trust me, they won't be held against you. The wrath of God is turned away. That's what Paul meant when he said Christ reconciled us both to God through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. All the hostility between God and us was absorbed on the cross. Jesus says, here, look at my side, at my hands. I made peace with these. Justice was satisfied with these. Peace between you and God and me was established with these. So where peace comes in our life. 
So there's a couple of relationships where, where the crucified and the risen Christ brings peace into our lives. First of all, peace between us and him. That's the first and most obvious meaning. He's standing there among them, offering them himself as a friend, as a helper, not as a judge. Peace between us and God. That's why God sent him, so that God's justice and wrath could be satisfied. Another way, uh, besides eternal punishment for us, God makes peace with us by substituting his son's suffering for our penalty. Now he comes to us as a loving father because that penalty has been satisfied. Thirdly, peace between us and others who are in Christ. To be reconciled to God is to be reconciled to all who are reconciled to God. No hostility vertically or horizontally. No racism, no ethnocentrism or classism or sexism. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Galatians 3.28. So he has come to give us peace between us and others who are in Christ. Peace between us and our own souls. The New Testament letters in the Hebrew to the Hebrews says the blood of Christ will purify our conscience conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's Hebrews 9:14. The precious peace of a clear conscience. How many people labor under the misery of a defiled or a guilty conscience. Peace with yourself doesn't mean that you start seeing past sins as desirable. Peace doesn't mean that past sins cease to be painful. It means that they cease to be paralyzing. The pain may not be taken away immediately, but the penalty is taken away immediately through Jesus Christ. And that makes it possible to heal and to move on with hope, with a hope-filled life while we do. And then peace with the world. Yes, when Jesus died, he did what needed to be done. Colossians 1, 19 through 20. So that someday in God's time, all evil will be cast into outer darkness and the entire new creation will be full of peace and righteousness. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. With righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, Isaiah 9, 7. Peace with Jesus, peace with God the Father, peace with others in Christ, peace with ourselves, and peace with the world. It's, it's an amazing, amazing thing. So how do we receive this peace? How, how do we receive it? Everybody doesn't have it. It's a gift of God. We receive it or we walk away from it. Or better to say we receive him or walk away from him. He is our peace. If we have the risen living Christ, living Jesus as our Savior and Lord and treasure and friend, then we have the peace that he gives, the peace that he is to all who received him, who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, John 1, 12. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5, 1. Jesus offers us that. We offer that on on his behalf. It is free. I hope that we receive it. Now we've spent most of our time on the gift of peace because it's foundational. It's, 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 it's the, it's the bottom. It, everything is built on it. And if we don't have peace with God, then we take all of his other gifts and use them and try to make peace. And it never works. Peace is first and it's free. Everything else is effective, is an effect of peace. It's not the cause. It is fruit. Peace is the root. The next thing that he gives us is power, power by the spirit. 
So in closing to the, to the power and the purpose Jesus gives, both are mentioned in verses 21 and 22. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The purpose. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit, the power. Jesus was going to pour out the Holy Spirit when he ascended into heaven, Acts 2, 33. And that happens about seven weeks after his resurrection. We read about it in the first chapter of Acts, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Acts 1, 8. The work of the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives us, that he makes us able to do what we simply are not able to do on our own. He gives us power. So here in John 20, 22, Jesus performs a kind of acted out parable. He breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He did not say, receive him at this very moment. He said, in effect, realize that my breath, my life, my word will be in the Holy Spirit. We've seen this before in John 14. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John 14, 18. The risen living Jesus has come to us. He has sent us the Holy Spirit, his spirit. He has breathed on us. This person, this power is our only hope for accomplishing the purpose he has for us. And he gives that purpose in verse 21, the second part of verse 21. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I want you to live in the world as my representatives, my ambassadors. I I want you to take my peace, to take my power and glorify the Father the way I have. John 12, 27 through 28. So our central purpose for existing, Jesus comes to us and gives us his peace with God. Then he gives us power to do the kinds of things that mere humans can't do, like defeating our own selfishness, loving other people, treasuring Jesus above all. And then with the peace and that power, he gives us our central purpose for existence. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I am sending you to extend my peace and my light and my truth and my life in the world. I'm going to my Father, but I give you my spirit. I am the power in you. So go and glorify me in this world. That's our great purpose in the peace of God, by the power of God, to do the will of God for the glory of God and for the good of others. And if we're puzzled by verse 23, here's what I think it means. It's a good way to end. Jesus says to the disciples, if you forgive the sins of any, they they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it, it is withheld. I think what he means is this. When you tell people about what I've done, speaking my word, about my work, and the power of my spirit, I am the one speaking through you, so that if anyone believes your word, I forgive their sins. And if any does not believe your words, I don't forgive them. And since you have my voice and my truth, I speak of you forgiving them and you withholding forgiveness. Which simply means that right now, what we make of this message from this fallible, sinful human messenger will decide whether we are are forgiven or not. As an ambassador of Christ, we urge you then to be reconciled to God. Receive as a free gift his peace, his power, his purpose. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to close today by reading Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dear dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, 
by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless and go in peace.